Well, welcome back again to the Northwoods Church Matters podcast. Uh, we've split up this discussion on Calvinism because we've had some good discussion and we want to get it all and uh, to have you all informed on everything. And where we left off was a debate within Calvinism, uh, which is a very hot debate about mm-hmm. does God simply elect who goes to heaven or does he elect both who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? And so the former argument is known as just simply predestination, but the other one has is, is been coined as double predestination, that God not only chooses who goes to heaven, but also who goes to hell. And so where do y'all fall on that argument, or what do we have to say about that? Uh, yeah, so um, the, even the more hired terminology for this, these are million-dollar words that you don't have to memorize, uh, is superlapsarian and lapsarian um, and uh, the supra is this idea that God elects and then also casts into hell those who are actually not even sinners um, and this is going into the mind of God how when God within his moment in time right God is always existing doesn't grow in knowledge but when God decided to create and when he decided to to he knew about the fall, and he knew and he knew about his son coming and going to die. He chose to elect us prior to sin, or prior to the fall. This is why this this conversation is crazy because you're trying to get in the mind of God, which yeah. is absurd. Um, and and so where I fall is is that Christ elect, I mean God elected to save sinners, uh, and that He chose to pass over those who aren't that He didn't elect for salvation. So. That's kind of where, or I land. Um, I don't. Uh, I reject double predestination, um, and um, and if we preach on election, we don't say that God also elects people to damnation or hell. Yeah. So for me, um, the Apostle John says that Jesus died not only for our sins, meaning that church, but for the sins of the whole world, and. I look at this and I go, well, uh, certainly not double predestination. For me, this is an area of tension where we go, Jesus died. Uh, I actually uh, hold to unlimited atonement, uh, general atonement, which uh, uh, I am not a, a general Baptist in all of the terms, but that's the split that happened within uh, the general Baptist versus the particular Baptist. That's about the atonement. And so uh, I hold to the general atonement. And so in this regard, I look at it and I see tension. I see, look, we are told to preach the gospel to everyone we don't know who was elect. I think for thousands of years, we may have to be untangling this one in the kingdom as to how this works. And that too, uh, with the limited knowledge we have now, uh, I don't think we're going to get very far, though I try to learn as much as I can. It's important. And so that's where I am right now. Yeah, I mean, we're ignorant to who God elected. Um, but I do, I guess this is where I, I maybe disagree with Jax a little bit. I believe that Christ, when he was on the cross, knew of his father's election and knew who he died, was dying for. And he, as it says, we are the bride, right? He bought the bride. Like, he saved his bride through his blood. And I see that as the elected church. Um, and so, I guess you can call me a five-point Calvinist or who believe in living atonement. Um, but uh, um, that's kind of where I fall on the issue. But, again, we're ignorant to the people that God's elected. So, in a sense, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, when we go out to share the gospel, as we, I believe that, you know, Paul and the other uh, apostles— they had an understanding. They knew that God had elected people to hear the gospel and believe it, right? They knew that they had that confidence going into it. 
I think we also, ignorant to the fact that we don't know who God is going to save through this, but yet we preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because the Bible tells us to preach the gospel. He tells us to send missionaries to the field, to proclaim the gospel to the, to the lost. Uh, and so interesting is that William Carey, the father of modern missions, was a Calvinist. People say that Calvinists aren't about missions, when really Adonai Jetson, William Carey, were all Calvinists. And they, they went to the nations knowing with this confidence that I know that the gospel is for the nations, and I know that God's election is secure, so I will preach the gospel, and those who respond and believe and trust in Christ were elected by God. And so that was like a major confidence as they risked life and they got on a ship and went to a, a nation to people they had never heard of before and never met before, and yet they went with confidence knowing that God was going to use them I and think open their mouths. a really key issue, though, that's very applicable to like everyone's daily reading of the Scripture. If you read and what you figure out discourages you from missions, discourages you not only that direction, but if it discourages oh, yeah. you from trusting in God for His work, then you've done it wrong. Right. <laughs> And and, yeah. and and listen, here's the thing. Reading is, is tough because yeah. all words, you're, you're using that word and your connotation in your mind is based on what you've learned previously in your life. So you need to spend time figuring out what these words mean right. according to God. And that's a that's a discipleship issue. That's you ask the Holy Spirit to teach you and then you ask other people who you trust who are in Christ. I, I have sat down with people who said, yeah, I, I've gotten to the point to where I don't believe I need to evangelize. I think it's all figured out. Wow. And I say, but don't you see from reading the scriptures that you've gotten to the wrong place? And I've had people tell me, yeah, I see that, but I don't know where I've gone wrong, so I can't change from this until I see that. N listen, you are trusting in your own ability rather than doing what the Holy Spirit is calling you to. And that is, that is you are following the wrong leader right. at that moment. Right. And that is so dangerous. Right. To trust in your own mind. Listen, I know our minds are important. That, that helps us to sort through what we're doing every day. But the key to this is if you are reading and what you read discourages you from doing what you ought to do in Christ, you're doing it wrong. So yeah. go back. Yeah. Go back. Uh, because I have no concerns about an Adoniram Judson or a William Carey or for any other friend of mine who says, I'm thinking this right now, but I know I've got to do what God calls me to. Okay, well, then that's... The doing is what we are constantly told in the Gospels. This is how you'll know uh, a disciple of mine. They will bear good fruit. Good fruit always means they'll do the works. They'll do the things that I'm calling them to do because they're following me. Yeah, so this question is not going to be the list, but I think we've gone to this place, and I think it's a good question to ask. That As you look through history and time, and the founders of the modern missionary movement, yep. or major preachers like Charles Spurgeon, yep. Yes. Yep. they were Calvinists. They were. Right. And they still evangelized right. and reached out to people and, and called people to Christ. So why do some Calvinists, are, are they so opposed to evangelism and some aspects of evangelism like invitations or right. things like That's that? That's a great question. Yeah, and, and I think there's, I think, one thing that hasn't been helpful, I think, is this idea that the reformers were um, not interested in missions. They were so interested in like reforming the church. The problem, I think, historically, is this is wrong. Calvin, in his ministry in Geneva, he is his major ministry there was not only preaching the word, but also training up missionaries to go back to France, because his beloved France was 
full of Catholics. Mm-hmm. And so you think about all the people in the churches every Sunday listening to horrible preaching, no Bible, just traditions of man. Calvin trains up these, these, these French pastors and sends them back into France, and a lot of them died. So the idea that Calvin didn't care about evangelism or missions is absurd. Or, or Luther, for or that Luther. matter. Yeah. yeah, look at these guys. They What do they do? The pro, the principle or the, per, the, the the idea or the maybe the thinking here is, well, he, they were they're just trying to reform the church. So I guess your argument is is that all these Catholics all had the right gospel. Well, it's obviously they didn't have it. So all the people didn't have the gospel. So what they were doing was preaching the gospel to ears who never really heard the gospel. I think that's pretty much evangelism, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the great story with Luther is him going to Rome and him witnessing for the first time uh, yeah. people selling salvation. Mm-hmm. Catholic priests actually saying, if you pay right. for this indulgence, right. then you can get to heaven. Right. Which is a, the opposite uh, of evangelism, right. which is not scriptural whatsoever. Which is actually not much different. I've been in Nepal a few times, which is a majority Hindu nation. People go to the temples. They give money to the priest or to the gods for good luck and fortune. It's very little to what's different than what they were doing in the, the right. 16th century. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing. They're paying for favors to God. And Luther sees this and is appalled. Yeah. And but so, yeah. This issue with uh, invitations, I mean, an invitation is another revivalism construct. The, the word and the idea, some people will say it's, it's man-centered, uh, they prefer the term a time of response. Um, for me, as long as you recognize the tension here that we do need to call people to make a decision whatever they think they're doing we need to give them an opportunity that seems to me to be the the issue that we're running into in terms of things like because because it is an issue i've i've heard people say like i don't like the term imitation or i don't like um that is that what you think is going on there uh, uh, my issue with like invitations and things. Well, this is a thing that's happening right now. That the the invitation itself is being it's a part of the worship, so right? It's kind of yeah. It's a, yeah. it's 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 being questioned at the very least. Which is so interesting. I went to some seminary, sitting in pastoral ministry class with Dr. Herschel York. Right, he's one of the professors, a pastor. He said pretty clearly, "Was I'm a Calvinist, but I don't understand why people aren't calling people." To put their faith in Christ. Isn't that what an invitation is? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So if you're not, and I've heard other preachers like John John Piper and others like pleading with people, put your faith in Christ. Like that is basically what we're doing, right? We're saying, here's all the here's all the facts, here's all the truth about the gospel and about Christ, that you're a sinner and that you need salvation, that Christ won that salvation on the cross. Will you choose to believe it? And they go, well, that's an invitation. I have a problem with that. It's like, <laughs> I can have a problem with that. Like, right. it's a, it's a, it's, you're pleading with a sinner, right, to trust in the Christ, and that, yeah. Anyone who has a problem with that is either a bad preacher and very bad at ministry and not very good at evangelism because that's a part of right. those activities. Yeah. Good. So, if God chooses people to be saved, does that make God a bad guy? Does that make him an evil person, this concept of election? Does it make him a bad guy? Well, obviously in the Bible story, who are the bad guys? We are the bad guys. We are the bad guys. <laughs> is the bad guys. So, and I think that is one of the problems with this whole thing when we, we've hit it on a few different times. I think people struggle with this because they think we are actually good. Right. Exactly. Innately, yeah. we're good. Right. And you're missing a major point of the Bible story. That people still mm. believe this concept of how God, how could God send good people to hell? Right. That as much as they've studied scripture, that 
They've been yeah. permeated with that in the back of their mind from right. culture that there are quote unquote good people out there. And you've got to strip yourself of that belief because right. the Bible never says that. This idea that God, like, but what if God doesn't elect like a good humanitarian? Right. But you're, you're missing the point though. You're, you assume that the good humanitarian is good by nature. They're not. They're sinful by nature. The Bible even says even our good deeds are tainted with what? Self-focus, yep. self-involvement, wanting to be accepted by others, wanting to be praised by others. Like That's all part of what's going on in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And we're not very good judges of what's going on in our hearts. Amen to that. Yeah. So therefore, right. <laughs> therefore right. we're not this, this, this presupposition that we're the good guys. Right. And that somehow God will mistakenly forget to elect a good person in this whole scheme is missing some foundational yeah. issues. You have to run every bit of entitlement out of your heart. Yeah. Right. We are not entitled to 98% of the stuff that we feel entitled to, and that is especially dangerous in regard to our reading of the Bible. And if you want to keep entitlement, then here's the thing. You are entitled to hell. You have asked for it in your sin. That's what sin is. Sin is... Sin is giving a rude gesture to God and saying, I want nothing to do with you. Get away from me. Right. And that is what we do. That's what the air that we breathe. I mean, speaking of stuff that we're attracted to, we are attracted to disgusting, perverse sins mm-hmm. all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is who we are. And this is one thing to be said about this, that if you read the Bible and you come to terms with what you are and what all the people around you are, this is a straightforward biblical issue. We are not the good helpful people that we would like to view ourselves as and then you have to go okay wow then i mean goodness it was not fair to jesus to go to the cross for sinners it was not fair to him and we hear so many fairness arguments about this and that's just misplaced and we read the bible this way too that we look back on adam we're like adam was such a dumb guy i would never have done that in his place or certainly i would have been on the boat with noah or we read the prophets and we're like Oh, those Israelites, they just did some really bad stuff. I would never have been apostate like these guys were. But that just shows the arrogance of our own heart. But of course we would have been with the Israelites selling out our faith for a few bucks. I mean, of course we would have been washed away with the people in Noah's generation. Absolutely. And I think there's another uh, uh, misunderstanding of the Bible. As if salvation is God... um, Basically, we're the prizes, right? As if, like, God needed us to be saved. Like, for the sake of God's love, he had to have someone to love. He had to have a church to love, a people to love. So, therefore, he, we, he chose us, and therefore, he is now fulfilled himself by electing us or saving us through Christ. It's a totally misunderstanding. God doesn't need us. Right. didn't need to save us. There's no outside party saying, you have to do this. You have right. to save right. people through your son. That is no obligation that was on God. God chose it out of his mercy and out of his love and out of his grace. Any other way of thinking it would be completely wrong. Yeah, it's not like 10 10 Things I Hate About You or another romance movie that I'm missing a piece of my heart and it's broken. But I think that is part of a lot of this understanding of salvation is is that, well, I mean, God needs me to walk this aisle. God needs me to pray the prayer. God needs me... To, to put my hands up and worship Jesus as if we're doing something for him, ever serving or, or doing some type of uh, job for God, something that we're serving him in some way. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need to save us, but yet he chose to save us anyway. Amen. So can people actually resist God's calling? 
Can he resist God's calling? Uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about the irresistible grace. Yeah. I don't. Again, I, I think we're putting in this in this context that that we're somehow there's people there's sinners just kicking and screaming right as the gospel's being poured into them. They're like, I don't want to believe this, but ah, it's irresistible, and therefore. I've got to believe it. And, you know, as if they're, like, being pulled down the aisle, you know, like, completely out of control. It's and, poltergeist. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> you're, like, wailing in the air. And it's like, that's, people are like, well, that's absurd. It's like, well, that's basically what you're saying uh, in that, and I don't know about y'all's kind of conversion story, but a lot of us, it's, we're kind of an evolution of progression of, like, hearing the gospel and, and Hearing it again, and not wanting again. to go to hell. So not, right. Yeah, and there's just kind of this, these building blocks, right? And every part of those building blocks is the Holy Spirit through the Word, and through people's testimony, yes. and them bearing witness of the gospel, preparing us for God's infusion of faith. Yeah. So, so there's two things about this one: um, the work of the Holy Spirit. Like, first of all, in the churches I've served in, I've been in five churches, and the work of the Holy Spirit is a pretty big oversight in most churches right now. Um, we tend to attribute, uh, I mean, this is the reason we talk about things like asking Jesus into your heart. Well, strictly speaking, you're not doing that. Uh, the Holy Spirit is responsible for that work right. in your heart. Uh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts the whole world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So I, I, I take that and I go, okay, so people know what sin is, all the people. And not only do they know down, but righteousness, they know up. They know there's an alternative. And not only do they know that there's a down and there's an up, they know that in the future, we're going to reckon. We're going to deal with what we have chosen. But then what is our response to that? In Luke 13 and in Romans 9, you have the same exact response from Jesus and Paul, who are often put at odds on these issues. Jesus looks over at Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem. The city that kills and stones the prophets. How often I would have gathered you like a hen gathers right. her chicks under their wings, but you wouldn't have it. Right. You wouldn't have it. And he weeps over the city. Right. In the same way, the Apostle Paul says, I, he looks at his Jewish people and says, yep. I would have been cut off for you. Why? Why will you die? Right. Why will you die? And so the first thing to be said is that the position of a Christian is to look at every person and to go, there is no reason for you to die. Right. If you will die, it is your own decision. Yeah. By your own stubborn heart. And I will not, I, I will weep for you if that's what happens for you. The same way my Savior did and the same way the Apostle Paul did. This is the example that we have. And so I, I cannot abide anyone who has a cold sort of, well, you know, some people go and some people don't. You know, it's, it's not what we're it's yeah. not what we're told yeah. in the scripture. That is that's not really the posture mean. we receive this yeah. under. Um, I think we're very, just, we're, 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 I think we're so systematic in our philosophical systems that we, the Bible is like, yeah, I'm. This is the Word of God, the voice of God, and I'm far more poetic in understanding my own election. Like this, the the story of yeah, Paul and Jesus, just this emotion, right? And this idea that yeah, God's like yeah, you know, I'll select you, I'll select you, right? In the day, I'm I'm done. It's like the Bible is like God is like pouring out through His prophets, Israel, repent, right. please repent. I am your, I am your Father. We have we have covenant together. I have given you this land i've given you the law please respond please re repent of your sin and turn back to me 
And, and the prophet's like, do it, come on. Right. And they're like, yeah, I'm good. I'll drive Jeremiah in a wall, in a, in a, in a hole. And, and we'll know, just let him go. If you are a tough-minded sort of person, look, I want you to be exactly who God wants you to be, but please just lay this before God. Yeah. And please read these scripture passages. That's all I'm asking. Is, is This is the posture we are given, so please receive it that way. Because that will lead you to a really important place. Um, please, everyone, when you read a passage that pushes you really far one way, Keep in mind that for every book of Romans, there is a book of Hebrews right, right. that will say to you, hey, if you think that nothing out there matters, I want to warn you over and over. Like this is in Hebrews. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. That ought to make you go, Wow. If I have Christ, I ought to cling to him mm-hmm. because he, he is the most valuable thing that I have ever run into in my life. And that is the whole flavor of Hebrews is if you know Christ, do not look away from him going, oh, well, you know, there's other stuff out there that's pretty good. Do not give yourself one second. Don't trust yourself right. to judge what's good. Even if you have come to know Christ in your understanding, don't start looking around going, you know, there's other good stuff too, and maybe he doesn't want me to have it, but I could probably have that too. That, that both-and sort of Christianity, that cafeteria Christianity, is, is the blight on the church. Yeah. It has been for over 100 years that I'll just have all, what I want from the world, and I'll have Jesus too. No, you won't. Jesus yeah. is constantly saying to people who, who had that same idea in his time, you need to read the rich young ruler and you need to really face him. Yeah. And yeah. he went away sad. And we think, no, I've got Jesus. No, you don't. I think that is really the core of what Calvin's writing on and talking about. It's like this both and, this cafeteria Christianity. Yeah. It Calvinism just punches that in the face and says, that doesn't belong, right? And people are fighting against but I want to be able to add what I want to be at. No, <laughs> it's like, it's God's way or the highway, man. And this is the, what it is. And people are really fighting with that. And uh, I think that's really where the, the fight is. Yeah. yeah, and I think that this point, out of all the five points of Calvinism, there's so much tension loaded in the Bible. And it's easy to misunderstand yep. Yep. where the Bible goes on this, this point of, can you resist the grace of God? That you've just got to understand that, yes, there is tension there in Scripture. Yep. And if you don't get that tension right, you can go to some wacky places. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Like uh, Rob Bell writing that book, Love Wins, right. a few right, years right, ago. Right. That's a horrible book. A horrible book. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Not worthy of reading. But Bell goes to Timothy where it says in Timothy, God desires all men to be saved, which right. is a true point. Yeah. But then he goes to a wacky place and says, well, does God get what God wants? And if he wants all people to be saved, then in the afterlife, everybody will get a second chance at salvation. And he goes to a universalist point yeah, of right. view where all people get saved. Right. So, But it's it's a misunderstanding of Bell's point that there is tension in the Bible in this point. And we all feel that in our life on right. a very um, subjective experience that we all have with salvation. Right. Who hasn't felt that tension that there is this irresistible calling of God and yet... There's a part of me that still resists. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and still today. And so it's easy to go to a weird place on that. That's good. Uh, so do people actually have responsibility for their own actions before God? Uh, I mean, again, going back to this tension part here. I mean, you read the Bible, it's pretty clear that people are you know, responsible for their actions. 
you, you think of someone like David, right? I mean, Psalms 51, um, recognizing that his sin had major consequences. And I love that part because it gets back in the history of, you know, Saul, God's spirit was removed from Saul, right? What, is, what does David pray for? He prays that, his, that God's spirit wouldn't be taken away from him. Feeling f- afraid that it would happen to him the same way that it happened to Saul. And, um, and so even David there, who, who understood more about who God was and wrote a lot about God and his relationship to God and his trust in God, recognizes that his actions have consequences. And that he even says, I didn't, I sinned against you, Lord. You know, I sinned against you. And he feels the consequences of that. And, and, and so uh, I think it's, it's pretty clear as we read through Scripture, as we read about these, the, 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 these biblical characters' lives, is that there is responsibility to God for our actions. Um, Aeneas and Sapphira, you know, they're lying to the to this Holy Spirit. What happened to them? Right. They died. Right. Um, and, <laughs> and so... <laughs> right. I mean, right there in church. Right there right. in church. Um, and so I think, I think, you know, being able to go, well, you got elected, uh, got predestined, nothing, nothing really matters about what we do. And it's like, well, obviously, when Paul tells us, like, you know, here's all, here's all, we're, we are, we are saved by Christ. We have his grace. We have the spirit. Now, therefore, walk in God. So therefore, there's a, a command there mm-hmm. that if you truly are in Christ, you will respond to this command and you will walk in Christ. Mm-hmm. If you don't walk in Christ, that you're making the, the point or you're showing evidence that you truly aren't in Christ. So. so, I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.10 is another great verse. We all must stand before the judgment seat of That's Christ right. and give an account for what we've done in the That's body, right. whether That's good right. or evil. Mm-hmm. Yep. There is an accounting That's right. that happens that's there. We have a responsibility. Um, so, I want to insist on the radical uh, push from Jesus that your actions matter. Um, in To replace, if there's one kind of practical idea that I would like to yank out of people's minds today. It is the once saved, always saved idea. I think that's the most dangerous notion that floats around in our churches um, because people use it as a ticket. You know, this idea that I can now be passive, which is not the biblical push, but I want to replace it with this. Jesus says, listen, when people hear the word, a few different things happen. Sometimes their heart is hard and the word falls like a seed and then the enemy comes and plucks that word away. Sometimes people hear the word, and then they, ha- they spring up quickly, but they don't have a root. And so the sun comes, and then they mm-hmm. die away. And he says specifically that that sun is affliction and persecution. Third, he says, some people grow among thorns. And they're like that seed off the side of the path. But then the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke them out, mm-hmm. and they fall away. Mm-hmm because they couldn't endure. Right. And then he finally says, but some produce good fruit, 30, 60, and 100 times and all of that. And this leads, if you replace this, first of all, the first time I was able to brush away a lot of this once saved, always saved, kind of, which is pat answer ideology, and see that Jesus is giving us answers that we need. We just can't hear them because we are trusting in easier answers, answers that that make us feel better, right. at least for certain times. Right. That's if you if you understand things like that, you can understand how Jesus will also say things like, "Listen, if you can't forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive yours." Right. I challenge anyone to try to systematize that statement. You can't. Right. It is Jesus saying to you, "Your actions matter. 
you have an effect on your own heart. And if you are hardening your heart, you should fear that. That's the whole thrust of Hebrews is, do not harden your heart today. Right. You, will, you will regret it right. if you are hardening your heart. And whether you believe today you are a Christian and you qualify yourself as safe, if you qualify safe by now I can sort of sin. I mean, the, the, words, the Word of God says if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer a sacrifice for sin left. Right. If you're in Christ, you got to hear today, I have got to eject sin out of my life like it's a drug problem. Right. right. That I'm injecting sick, disgusting stuff into my veins every day because that's what sin is. Mm-hmm. And you got to get right because that's death you're putting in your veins every right. day. When I was a kid, we had a, a saying when we were playing games, the, the no take backs. Right. You know, once, you, once I have this, you can't take it back. And sometimes that's how we view perseverance of the saints, or once saved, always saved. Yes. That if Jesus gives me a ticket to heaven, God won't take it back. That's right. That's such a bad understanding yeah. of perseverance of the saints. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, that is true, but it's more closer to Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work. work in you will be faithful to complete it. That right. if God starts something, right. you will continue to change and bear fruit. That's right. Yeah, and I, I think I mentioned this every time I, we preach on sanctification and stuff. It's like if you've trusted in Christ and you are a Christian, I just want you to realize you are going to be conformed into the image of Christ. You have no choice over this. This is this is God's work in you, and it's going to hurt at times. Yeah. It's going to be painful at times. And if you're sitting here and you're like, "Well, I don't want to go through that. Uh, I don't. I don't want to be able to do whatever I want. And I just want to like have easy believism. Like this isn't." The gospel isn't for you then. Like the, the Christianity is about conforming you into the image of right. Christ. The the Sermon on the Mount, right? The, you know, uh, if you have lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery, right? Yeah. If you've have anger against anger against your brother, you've committed murder, right? Jesus is saying, even in your internal heart, even before you even make an action, your thoughts and your emotions, yeah. that's going to be conformed to the image of Christ. Yeah. And so, like that is a, it's a heart transplant. That is a that is like. Uh, it hurts when we when we sin and we experience the consequences of that sin. We learn from those consequences. You know, I should probably think about how I spend my time. I should think about how I look at women. I should think about how I um, spend my what, what I think about, what I watch, what I listen to. All of that yep. is like difficult. Yep. You know, we can't just just go into life doing whatever we want. And at the end of life, well, I have this card yep. that um, the preacher told me if I just believe then I'm good. And I think this is all coming back to this revivalism mindset of just trying to get as many people down the aisle into the camp. Just believe Jesus, say the prayer, and you're good to go. It's There's where the fault line really is of, of, of preachers and, and, and ministries that have just kind of sold this good um, without any foundation of understanding of what people are actually doing. you got to count the cost. Um, and um, we're just so quick to want people just to walk the aisle. And it seemed like Jesus had, he wanted to tell the truth and say, this is what it's going to look like to be a follower of me, right? You're going to have to, you, you know, you're going to have to, I want to go bury my father. It's like, let the, the dead bury their dead, right? Yeah, right. I think that passage, which is in the gospel, we then say something totally different. You know, it's like, just come down the aisle, believe. And life is going to be good. It's like, but Jesus didn't even say that. So why are we so quick to want to kind of throw this out there, let people grab it, um, and and be happy with that when also we struggle to understand people aren't being discipled in our churches, people aren't responding to teaching. 
I think our first question would be like, are they actually saved? Right. Exactly. Are they actually redeemed? Yeah. And probably not. Yeah. And I think parents would do well to think this way with their children. Yes. Like if your child made a decision at four or five years old, and then there is no fruit on that decision. Right. I think the way that as a parent, yeah. a godly parent, that you should think is not put your trust in that salvation That's that right. happened at four or five, but right. ask the question, is my child really saved? Which right. I think in the view of eternity, I would want my child to be really saved right. and genuinely saved. Right. Not to hold on to by a shoestring to some salvation that occurred at a young age. Yeah. Right. Assurance is always held in tension in the Bible with the warning passages. Right? Yeah. You're, you're, every one of us, our assurance. Do not think in your assurance that you have bought some ticket to do whatever you want, not to sin as you like. You, you, want, you want to be as far from sin as you can be. Because, I mean, one of the biggest changes for me on this issue is that I used to view Jesus as like the ideal. Well, maybe little by little, I'll kind of take a little step here and there. Uh, the Bible presents Jesus as normal. Jesus is the normal, healthy human being. All the others that you've seen That's right, a good point. are to yeah. some degree messed up and right. twisted. Right. And you're looking for, for the base level. This is what everybody will look like in the kingdom because all of the sins will then be excised. That's right. great. This, That's is what, this is what we were made for. Right. And so we don't want anybody. I mean, this is just a trick for your own heart to go, well, yeah, one of these days I want to be like Jesus. Like, don't do not fall for that junk from your heart. Why don't you try to be like Jesus today? Yeah. Imagine yourself if not, if these sins that just hold you captive, if you didn't love those anymore. Mm. And then, man, fight for that every day. Wake up and go, I got to fight for that today. Because that's all it is to be a mature in Christ, is to go, I'm going to have besetting sins, but I'm going to fight them again today. So before I ask the last question, I'm going to out us. And so, oh, yeah, sure. So uh, where, where do, do you stand? Are you a Calvinist? And how many points do you hold to? You should start. Uh, so I am a Calvinist. I'm a five-point Calvinist. Uh, I'll say this, though. like When I was in college, I really struggled with this issue. Um, I went back and forth. Um, and I really... Uh, this, and I might give a little bit of a, a footnote for this as well. That's why it's important when you, uh, as a college student, to get involved in a church and not just rely on your parachurch ministry because my parachurch ministry, which is Campus Church for Christ, did not... Uh, communicate well or engage only on this issue uh, and, and I think left to my own devices I, I struggled with uh, how this all works and, and was really in a feud with with this idea of election and and Calvinism and predestination it almost became a fatalist and said it doesn't even matter and the thoughts of this don't even matter I don't even want to talk about this anymore um, and kind of went to that direction um, and so I, I didn't come to this issue like early on in my Christian life. It wasn't like I've always been this. Um, instead, I've kind of came to this point by reading scripture um, and, and reading other literature and realizing that God's majesty is is there. I mean, his sovereignty is involved. His word is uh, majestic and sufficient. And, and God is in control over my life. And um, that's kind of how I've came to this issue. Um, and the, the one issue that I tended to, was struggling with even during, in seminary was a limited atonement, this mm-hmm. issue, um, but kind of resolved that, um, a little bit later on. Um, but still very humbled in this, this discussion. Uh, I've mentioned to a few different people that this discussion on Calvinism isn't my favorite topic in the world to talk about in theology. I would prefer to talk about the church and how the church should operate far more than this. 
Um, and so I'm really humbled by the invitation to talk about it because uh, I not really feel very um, inept. I don't feel very uh, confident in my views and stuff, but uh, that's kind of where I am. You've done a good job today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the only descriptor I use for myself is a Christian. That's on purpose. Um, I, I see this issue. I think this issue is very plain. First Corinthians 1 talks about right early on in the church. Some said, I follow Paul. Some said, I follow Apollos. Some said, I follow Peter. And then there were other people who said, I follow Christ. Um, now, I will say that for me, I, I lean more Calvinistic on certain doctrines, and I lean more Arminian on certain doctrines. I, right now in the SBC, it's very popular to call yourself either, either a Calvinist or a non-Calvinist or a Calvinist or a traditionalist, and I think that is just not a very helpful sort of classification. Right. Uh, we have theological history is there, and you have to deal with it. Right. And there's no—I uh, know that for, for some Calvinists, you will call somebody an, a heretic if they're claiming to be Arminian. Look— uh, John Wesley <laughs> was right. a believer, okay? And John Wesley was a good buddy to George Whitfield, and they worked they were, side by side very hard. I mean, these, yeah. these men worked incredibly hard in their generation faithfully. And so I think I read, uh, I have right now on my desk, I have Wesley's journals, and I have the Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin, which, by the way, is a massive book. It is. Uh, about That's a hard read. Three and a half inches, very small print. And if you think there's just five points of Calvinism, there's... 80 chapters which have titles that are like 20 uh, 20 words long and and so yep. there's a lot to learn and I just want to learn uh, and so that's that's where I am and I really am not trying to be evasive in that uh, I just tension is the defining characteristic of the way I view theology I think you want to come to the point where you understand as us small little beings how we are living in in intention in in stressors inside of us right. and, and you should never want to just feel like oh i don't have to be stressed about uh sharing the gospel like no you should be uh, because people will die right in, in their sins if you don't and that's what we are told in the bible and if you want certain deeper answers you don't get some of them keep asking but we have to go with the answers we have today and and act in them and live by them and, and I, I hope that the response that y'all are espousing and I'm going to espouse is the response that people would have to this podcast, that you wouldn't uh, kind of shrug your shoulders and just say, eh, I don't know. Right, no. But this would cause you to study deeper, to That's study right, right. more, and to dig deeper. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, as I mentioned, grew up in a moderate Southern Baptist church, and when I got to seminary, I encountered some hardcore Calvinists for the mm -hmm. first time, and I didn't know what it was. And right. initially, my reaction was, I don't want to be that. Because right. I saw some really rude people sure. that were Calvinists, and sure. they're out there. They're yeah. rude Arminians too. Right. Uh, but yes, I've met both. <laughs> <laughs> but as I started to read for myself and dig for myself and started to better understand the issue, uh, the more my perspective has changed. And like you, Jackson, I don't like to throw labels out there mm -hmm. because I, I think that sometimes they're unhelpful, and I don't want to be like say I'm in this camp or not in this camp, right. but. Uh, if, if I were pinned down and pressed, I would say I'm probably a four-point Calvinist is where I stand at this point in time. And that's been a massive yeah. swing, swing over time. Yeah. But it's, it's really helped me in my personal walk as well. Hmm. So can Calvinists and non-Calvinists be part of the same church and even be friends? I, yes. Uh, here, here's where I'm going to maybe say something that may be controversial. Um I think where where I tend to draw the line, I think if you're if within elders and churches, I think that's so. Therefore, 
we would probably have a we would never have a non-Calvinist elder at Redeemer Fellowship Church, um, and I think mostly because all these issues that we've talked about when it comes to the preaching of the word, that concise, concise teaching of the word um, from the same kind of viewpoint there, I think is the key here. Uh, and that's really kind of why I'm stating it that way. Um, but I'm not saying if, if someone came to our church and they were a non-Calvinist, obviously they could be a member of our church, right? And I even say in our members class, I make this a point. I'm like, hey, some of us you know, have maybe have different theological views when we go through our beliefs. But the more important thing here is salvation. Do you believe that you're saved by Christ alone? Um, and that's kind of the, the, the ender there. Um, and so that's c- kind of how I answer that question. Um, and yeah, I mean, definitely have friends that are non-Calvinist. My parents are non-Calvinist, so there you go. Yeah, you haven't shunned your parents yet. No, we've had arguments. Yeah. Uh, more, We had more arguments when I was in seminary. Yeah. than we do now. You never said you can't see the grandkids unless you believe in right. I think we're, we're, uh, some of our arguments get down more into uh, dispensationalism than covenantal theology, mm-hmm. which is a totally different conversation altogether. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, no, let's not go there. Because uh, I have some strong views there. I might have stronger views on this, that issue than I do on this, but go ahead. Yeah. 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 Oh, certainly. I mean, what's interesting is I was thinking about this, uh, and I'm probably half of my friend's uh, would describe themselves as Calvinists and probably half uh, would not. Um, I, and look, I mean, I'm still close with a lot of the guys that I came through my youth group with. And certainly, if you're going to grow in Christ together, you have to have patience and humility. You will not have any long-standing yeah. relationship of any kind uh, yeah. without that. And so that's required. Uh, if, if you don't have those, uh, certainly I don't think you can have friendships. I think you should. I think that um, that the two groups have a lot to offer each other. Um, and and I really do, because of the individualism comment I made and what will be the last uh, podcast now, I really do, I really would say that the children of this Calvinistic generation may well look and go, well, I don't want to be exactly what you are. I'm an American individualist too. What, what else is out there? And we should always be prepared for shift yeah. and, and, and have and, and go to God and say, I hold my circle of orthodoxy up to you. I'm not the purveyor. I don't, I don't get to decide who's in and who's out. Uh, right. God is the one who decides who's right and who's wrong, and and how we can operate together. So, so I try to live uh, there, and and certainly I think we need each other. Uh, I, I do think though, my my take on why this all has shaken out the way it, it has uh, in in history and now is that I think certain types of personalities tend to gravitate towards certain types of systems, yeah. and that then we definitely need each other. That this is a a First Corinthians. Uh, 12 and a Romans 12 issue in terms of different gifts that need each other and that do not think because you're an I, I've got it all figured out. Guys, if only you could see like I I do, you would know everything. No, that's not the way it works. We need each other. Yeah. So that's definitely where I fall on that. We do. And one of the most grievous things that I've seen in the SBC uh, over the past few years is just the dividing over this issue. I mean, people on both sides just yep. they stay in their camps and they refuse to interact with other people. This is not like a first level issue where somebody's preaching another Christ, another spirit, another right. gospel. Yep. It's just different views of, of salvation and the mechanics of it. Um, you look under the hood of two different cars, you're gonna have different mechanics, but it's still a car. Yeah. And, and so uh, we're all friends here in the room. And so praise God, we can all be friends even yep. when uh, we have different views of different things. Uh, what would be like an easy book that somebody could read about Calvinism? I was going to ask that. Yeah. yeah. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. 
what would be an easy book? Okay, so the book that I was thinking this whole time uh, is it's a great title for a book because I think it splits through some of the, the, the criticisms of Calvinism as that they're anti-evangelism, but it's J.I. Packer's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very short. Uh, it's a book that I, when we have pastoral interns, students that are pastoral interns, I make them read the book because I think not all college students have all, have all this all figured out. And so um, that helps give them an understanding from a theological standpoint and a practical ministry standpoint, right? They kind of, that this isn't some high pie in the sky or intellectual Ivy Tower type discussions, but this really affects practical ministry of evangelism, right? And that we have confidence when we go out and share the gospel with unbelievers that God has chosen to save people before the foundations of the earth. So when we open our mouths to whomever, we have that confidence. It's, yeah. not, it's not on us to convert the masses. It's not on us to affect heart change. Right. Which is so, that concept yep. is simply going out and share the gospel and then, you know, all about technique and and uh, formulas and how to say one word better <coughs> than another word. It just removes that obstacle and says, God is going to save people through his spirit and through his word. You just have to be faithful. And I just love how that book gets to that point. So Good. Uh, I would say uh, Desiring God, John Piper. A lot of people That's have read this. It's great to read books that other people have read. Uh, one of the issues I think we have with these sort of things is that we get this wrong idea that the goal of uh, like how you can really know God is to go get a book and sit by a lake somewhere and just be by yourself. Like, no. Christianity happens in the context of community. Lean into your local church context. Lean into trustworthy believers that God has sovereignly brought along in your life. I can look back at my life and see faithful Christian youth ministers, Christian mailmen uh, who came along in my life right when I needed them and who I have clung to over the years. I mean, in, in good times and in hard times to say, I'm having difficulty right now. I need you. And that's you guys are two of those guys that God brings along in my life, people who can hold me up. And that's how we get along. That's how we make it is with each other. Uh, this is this is one of the ways that God takes care of us is by giving us Christian brothers and sisters who can be there for us in challenging times. I love that Calvin was first a pastor. And I think there's this idea that he was theologian only. I mean, he was a pastor right. who preached regularly to his church. There's a story about Calvin. He, he left... Uh, Geneva, right for a few for a few years, came back and preached the next text. Exactly, I love that story. Isn't that a great story that he was a preacher? He pastored a yep. church. He yep. pa- he he uh, had pastoral training and mentoring ships. And Luther as well. And that's, yeah, that's and the these goal. guys, the their goal. systems and what they wrote were for building up the church. And um, and so hopefully, like people get get this. These guys are not. Just intellectual dudes sitting in a room. Calvin wanted to be an intellectual guy who sat in a room, but God didn't allow it. That's right. That's God that, called that, him to that's preach. That's the story. Yes. God yeah. called him to pastor. God called him to love people, and that I think, in the end of the day, if you don't get, if you don't believe in Calvin, that's important. Realize these guys were normal dudes who loved God, loved His Word, and loved God's people. And at the end of the day, we all have that commonality. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Pick up either one of those books. I will plug Desiring God because that was my first entry into Calvinism. I read that book first and I hated it. But I hated (laughs) it from the perspective of it was challenging me on some things Mm -hmm. that uh, I didn't want to believe. And so 
good read. Uh, I think every Christian should read that book. It's, it's a really good book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's been a good hour and a half of Absolutely. discussion. Thanks so, for having us. Yeah, thanks, th- for having us. thanks for being on, and I'll return the favor sometime. Yeah. All right. <laughs>